Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. The Five Things Podcast is where we take a deep dive into five topics from social media that happened this week and share our takeaways with all of you. Joining me this week, we have Amanda and Juliana. Hi, Amanda. Hi, I'm used to saying good morning, but we have a special evening record. So good evening. Good evening. (laughs) Juliana, what's up? Hey, guys. It's great to be back. Love having Juliana here because then we don't have to talk about data. Like when (laughs) Beth is here. Boring. Boring. Um, All right. Let's dive into the five things for this week. The first is Facebook's oversight board will make a final decision on former President Trump's ban from the platform. Facebook and Instagram expanded their alt text capabilities. TikTok is launching a new Q&A feature. Pinterest is launching eyeshadow AR experiences. And finally, for all you Netflix bingers out there, the musical version of Bridgerton goes viral on TikTok. Some say I am the lady whistledown of social media podcasts. All right. With that, we dive into the five things. First and foremost, the Facebook Oversight Board will make a final decision on former President Trump's ban from the platform. This is fascinating what is going on now. Trump is officially out of office. See you later. Don't call, don't write. And basically, Facebook has created an oversight board that is independent from the people who run the platform day to day. Their job is to make decisions governing what is going on on the platform in terms of safety and security. Um, And as it pertains to misinformation or accounts that are considered uh, not appropriate for the platform. This group at the time of this recording has not made a decision yet on what to do with former President Trump's ability to use the channel. Uh, We hope that this will come down soon enough. We are seeing other channels create similar boards and making similar decisions. We know that Twitter just launched their board uh, this week to do something very similar. Uh, So what we are starting to see are private companies taking big steps to try and find ways to curb uh, misinformation and these types of accounts from flourishing and causing civil unrest throughout the country and the world. Amanda, Juliana, I know this one is fraught with tension, but if you have any thoughts, share it now. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that this kind of is showing and always kind of the thing that you have to reckon with as a social media company when you're doing reactions to things that are trending or in the news uh, is then you have to decide, well, how long are we going to commit to this? What does this actually say about our values? And are we going to have to really edit the way that we behave for a longer time than it exists within the news cycle, right? So with Facebook, you know, if you're essentially banning an individual from participating on your platform because of the spread of misinformation and the idea that, you know, it's important that people are able to get truthful news, that does that only exist during the time of the election? Does that only exist during the time right before the inauguration? Like how long is it necessary to protect people from misinformation? That was kind of my, and I imagine they don't have kind of an answer on this, but as I'm curious how much of this is landmark case ruling to be used and referenced by platforms moving forward and how much is going to be this kind of continued, 
you know, this independent oversight board, I imagine will be tapped often globally and in other situations. So I'm just curious to see how that kind of plays out, not only for for Trump, but also around the world and knowing how much of a role social media has played in in politics now. But it's interesting. It's like, where's the line where the board steps in? Because civil unrest designed for good is a hallmark of a democratic society, right? That, you know, that any sort of protesting that has led to change in society can happen on platforms like this. This board has a very interesting role to play, and I think it is specifically around misinformation. And I'll be curious to see what their next big, what's their next big landmark case? What is it going to be after something like this? And, and is it only going to be in the U.S.? How are they going to deal with, you know, any sort of dictatorial body using this in other countries? Uh, it's interesting to see that the United States is going to be the benchmark for what they decide to do. Um, it's just odd, but the events of January 6th have sort of changed that that framework. You know, I rarely give Facebook credit for anything. Um, I, I think they are always a day late and a dollar short when it comes to being good and being good citizens. Um, but I think in this case, you know, the board's going to make their decision and we hope that they are on the right side of history. Right. That's all you can hope for. Um, so. Very interesting. Um, I think long term for marketers, the the conversation and the question is, is this a platform you want to be associated with? Are they is it a platform that does well in society? And if so, what you know, then does it become a place where you want to connect with your audiences there? Um, so the the Facebook boycott lasted a good deal a long time, but it's over. And uh, you know, I, I think what they do now in this moment will determine if brands stay or go. Um, and if people now. do. And I, I think there's like an evolution of how people use the platform, just like with every platform. It started as, you know, college friends connecting. Is that what it's going to stay? Is there a future in which it does become this political discourse that feels unreliable and people leave for that reason? And that alone is something that a marketer can look at and say, is that for me or is that not? So crossroads. That's right. Well. We're going to move on now to something that Facebook and Instagram are doing that I actually love, which is expanding their alt text capabilities to make their content more um, accessible for for different users in their communities. So, Amanda, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. And in a good turn of events for Facebook and Instagram, those platforms have expanded their capabilities on on alt text, which if you're not familiar with what alt text is, it's a feature used um, for visually impaired users that basically provides a description of what you're seeing. And most content creators, most content on the platform does not do this on its own. So the platform has been adding AI generated subtitles and kind of content descriptions so that the visually impaired users can interact with the content the same way that people with, uh, you know, visual awareness can. Um, and this is actually something they started in 2016, which when you think about AI, that's been kind of working hard since 2016 and we're now in 2021, almost said 2020, that obviously is just an exponentially like huge system that I think they announced that it's something like 10 times more recognition of what's included in the pictures and visuals on the platform. So it's a really big chapter in the, you know, we've been having a conversation on this podcast about 
accessibility on digital platforms and even more largely beyond social platforms in, in the world and what does inclusivity really mean for people. So obviously this is great. This is great news and this is something that the platform should absolutely be doing. Um, and I think, you know, when you're a brand or a marketer or a content creator or an everyday user, thinking and considering and, you know, exploring how to expand your accessibility should be something that you invest time and energy in. And one thing that I think is will be interesting, just thinking about how uh, users on TikTok have utilized the accessibility, um, like the alt text capabilities um, to almost add another dimension to the, the videos, you know, using it in a creative way that kind of you can not only read the words, but almost get like the sentiment and the energy. So it'll be interesting to see if this is leveraged as well on Facebook and Instagram to have it be, you know, not just reading it, but really just fully understanding the the entire message, the way that, say, an ASL um, works to do. And one good example, although it doesn't it doesn't talk about alt text, but I think there was I, was it last week? Time moves crazy at this rate. Um, Taco Bell actually did a post around their potato items coming back to the menu where they animated a potato of their CEO and it was talking about the potato items. And while this was like really interesting content and everybody was, you know, uproar about it online, there was a large conversation around the accessibility because if you didn't know what this potato head was saying, you really couldn't get that message. There wasn't an alt text description, <laughs> there wasn't subtitles, and there wasn't, you know, these features that for those who are visually impaired, would have helped them understand what the message is. So it's a large audience that, you know, Taco Bell might have missed out on um, if if they couldn't engage with that content. So I, that's a good example of just being con considering how you can put this into your day-to-day -day content too. But also, you know, accessibility for content was not in vogue until recently, right? But there always was captioning for a sound off environment. So we were like, almost inadvertently making things more accessible. But the way that the alt text is working now, I think is is really kind of a special feature. And, and I would urge all of our clients to make sure that they put an accessibility check in their process for when they're uh, evaluating content. Uh, it's certainly something we're talking about a lot among our creative teams. So uh, definitely a great build for Facebook and Instagram to make a more inclusive platform. Juliana. Yes, Since you're here with us today, I want to know more about TikTok's new Q&A feature. Can you tell me a bit about it? Yes, of course. So as it kind of says on the lid, um, TikTok is launching a new Q&A option, which is enabling users to be able to you know, pose questions to creators that can be answered in future video clips. And so if you use TikTok already, you're, usually, you're familiar with the people's ability to comment on a video and for the creator to respond to it through a video, but this is a lot more direct. Um, it's also different from their live function where, you know, you have to be part of the live stream in order to ask the question and then just hope that the, the user responds to you. This allows people to, you know, create questions and then leave the app, come back. It, it just allows for people to be able to engage with creators a little bit more, um, just more fully. And of course, you know, it, with a with more options to do so without having to constantly be involved with the app. And so, of course, you know, this is maximizing engagement. It's going to allow for creators to be able to really build a greater connection with their fan base and just overall allowing them to solidify their following. 
And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how this comes to life from a marketing perspective of, you know, people being able to, rather than having to pose questions or ask people to, to bring you questions, you know, just create, carving out that space for people to, to engage with brands and to, um, you know, prod a little bit more on anything that they're curious about. It also expands, you know, influencers and creators to continue that relationship to your point of what you were describing, Juliana, because, you know, when we zoom out and think of what's the difference between an influencer and a celebrity, uh, I mean, to use like esports as an example, you know, people love LeBron James and they love the streamer that they're watching playing Call of Duty. The difference is LeBron James isn't going to say your name in the middle of the game like, what's up, man? Whereas, you know, you're watching a nade shot stream, you give him a subscription and he shouts you out. And that's such a personal experience that any additional features and ways that influencers and creators can add these layered on to the content that they're making. It just creates such a tighter bond and such a more engaging experience for people that are watching. Yeah, I think just across the board, you know, the the collapse of the distance between the viewer and the person they're a fan of. You know, just seeing that get smaller and smaller and really that humanity, which I think brands are always trying to profess that they hold, you know, creating more avenues for them to actually build that in an organic way is great. And instead of, you know, a brand just having to respond to something, you know, cool on Twitter and show that they talk the way you do or like things you like, they can just talk to you. And and that seems just great. I'm I'm looking forward to more opportunities for one, uh, social media interns to, to get their accolades and <laughs> two, for you know, people to be able to talk to brands more. I think it's a great feature. And like I have said on the pod before, I think TikTok's really in its infancy and we're going to start to see more and more of the, the, the features develop, which I'm excited to see because I love the platform so much. And I, I, I just watching influencer videos on that platform is something I look forward to and the ability to engage will be quite special. On to my pick for 2021, the platform most to watch, Pinterest. Amanda Davis, what's going on with the eyeshadow AR experience? Ooh. Ooh, this sounds very specific, but I'll talk about it in a little bit broader stroke. So Pinterest has launched what they're calling an that's an awful, you're right. An eyeshadow AR experience where users on the platform can, you know, upload a picture or log into a video interface and basically play around with makeup the way that you would in store and online. Uh, I think the zoom out to note is that last year they actually launched this with lipstick at probably the worst time for lipstick to exist right before everybody had to wear masks. So while they were able to kind of perfect the technology around that, they then pivoted it into eyeshadow. And I think anyone could guess that this will extend into more makeup options, especially in a world where we can't go into our Sephora's and Ulta's and try things on. Obviously, this is being used, you know, very heavily, even just at right at its launch. And I think the interesting thing here is Pinterest is actually offering this kind of try on feature to brands for free. There's no, you know, pay barrier. There's no commitment to spending. It's something that they truly just want to offer brands on their platform to have much more of that, again, personal experience that you can't really get, especially in a remote world that we're in right now. And it also obviously gets to customers earlier in their decision-making process. So it's instead of the traditional marketing or, or ad platforms that they're used to, it's a it's a shoppable ad in kind of its most pure sense. So 
Yeah, obviously, like we've been talking about AR and mixed reality and VR and all of the R's for a little while. And I think any time that we can see new ways that these are applied is always exciting for brands. And then to your point, Kenny, I think this is just another example of, of how effective of a platform Pinterest is and how much it knows the way that its audience behaves. Yeah, I, I, I love the, the things I love about Pinterest that I think are accentuated by this build are the ability to connect with influencers, the ability to drive to sale, the ability to drive to exploration and, and really dream and aspire for what you want. So the fact that they're adding these sorts of AR experiences, which can help with that dreaming and that planning and that the mood board development and all these different things, really, really smart. Um, another, another vertical within the marketing world that can, that needs to leverage this channel more and more. Um, I, I think Pinterest is the most underused social network out there and probably the most powerful of the bunch. So we'll be very curious throughout 2021 to see that come to life. Now, everybody at home, we're going to talk about Bridgerton because it is the most watched show on Netflix, like the first week was like the biggest opening week in the history of Netflix. I think they said 86 million people watched it. It was the number one show in every country that is Netflix except for Japan. Um, it is massive, massive, massive. Um, and it was based on a series of best-selling books and they're gonna already have multiple seasons and very, very fascinating stuff. But what's also fascinating is what the internet does when they take hold of these things. So Juliana, tell us about the musical version of Bridgerton that went viral on TikTok. I would love to. The Shondaverse is well-lived and is getting another crack at taking over culture. So admittedly, I've not watched Bridgerton, but I don't think Penny's introduction uh, belies the fact that it's super popular. And so as with everything that's popular, uh, someone decided that this was really great content and wanted to explore ways that they could reimagine it. So very much in the style of the Ratatouille mu musical that got popular on TikTok uh, a few months back and, you know, exploded into this properly made production. Uh, Bridgerton musical is trending throughout TikTok. So it's created by the songwriter, Abigail Barlow, who, you know, having watched the shows was really inspired and felt that it just kind of naturally translated into a theater-like uh, masterpiece and started creating songs alongside her writing partner. They, you know, she sings them on TikTok. They got traction and attention from other TikTok users. And, you know, Netflix, uh, you know, added her and uh, applauded her for how cool it is. And you've got a lot of people that are really interested in the idea of this becoming something uh, bigger. And so what I think is really interesting, even though we are kind of in the, the early stages of this and, you know, don't know if, uh, if it will explode into something much larger, I think kind of twofold. There's one, just this really great show of the repeatability of a successful format. So like the TikTok to musical idea, if you told me that in 2015, I would have no clue what you're talking about. But if it, you know, it sparked and there's obviously a lot of attention to it and it just goes to show that if people are interested in that thing. There's no shame in exploring different ways that you could kind of fit within that format. And then secondly, I think from the perspective of marketers, it's the recognition that people are going to engage with your content and make it spreadable in ways that you truly cannot imagine. And that's awesome. And I think it creates a higher bar for us to do something different and more inspired so that people in turn feel more inspired to do something interesting with it. From the words of someone who never- I love it. <laughs> 
you know, I, I think honestly, we're talking about a what the internet does when it takes hold of something and the creativity that is out there and what happens when brands allow themselves to be a part of the creation, not the owners of the creation. Um, and that is, we talked about the Ratatouille musical. We're now talking about the Bridgerton musical. I think you are seeing the power and creativity of the audience. And this isn't new. There's always been fan fiction. There's always been fan adaptations. The channels like TikTok are democratizing where and how viral that co-creation can be. And I think it's a lesson for brands about not holding your IP so close because when the internet loves what you do and they believe in what you do, they take it and they do something incredible with it. So I think it's awesome. Uh, it's inspirational. I think the title of this episode should be Cross That Bridgerton. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Amanda, 2021 is the year that I might not hate musicals thanks to TikTok. And that is a big feat. Well, I think, and you know, just to tack on just really quickly to the last point you're making there, Kenny, about holding on to your IP, you know, this is what the complete opposite of what happened to Quibi where people creating content based off of how much they liked Quibi shows, they immediately swooped, swooped in and, you know, shut it down, shut down the podcast that was dedicated to loving Quibi. You know, it, it really just reinforces your point. You need to let people love your stuff and recognize that them building in building on the universe doesn't somehow degrade it entirely. Right. Taking it from what used to be a conversation around brands and content into, you know, an experience, whether it's memes or it's musicals or whatever that may be, it's a shift. And I think, you know, Netflix understands it and we're seeing it a lot more. And I think that's the kind of zoom out lens. All right, memes and memets, we've made it. We've reached the end of our five things. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. If there's anything you want to tell us, about the show, something you'd like to hear us talk about, maybe a guest that you want us to bring on, you can email us at podcasts at gray.com. That's podcasts at gray.com. Amanda and Juliana, thank you for your time. As always, thank you to our intrepid producer, Joey. Hi, Joey. And then as always, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.